and then got delivered in pouring snow again. So I am so sick of the snow that I can't even stand it. <laughs> it's making things very difficult. It has been, yeah, just brutally cold. Oh my God, in Northeast Ohio. And just, yeah, the snow, every time you think, every time you get it shoveled or out of the way, it, uh, there's another wave. Hey, Rich. Rob, how's it going? It's going good. I, I uh, apologize for not being able to uh, have my ugly mug on the screen there. Well, you tell that to your throngs of fans. Uh, it'll be disappointing. <laughs> here, we'll uh, we'll get we'll make do. So, <clears throat> but thank you for calling in. I know you are somewhere way cooler than uh, in an office sitting in front of a laptop. So I appreciate you still making it. Absolutely. I, I unfortunately forgot my laptop in the house and uh, am on a boat in the middle of the San Francisco Bay, which I was really hoping to really, you know, stump Amy on the, uh, on where I was, but you'll have to take my word for it that the view is very nice. Take your word for it. And yeah, you're, your unknown and exotic locations have become a big part of the show. So, are you sailing over to San Quentin to see Rich's uh, buddies? <laughs> uh, I cannot see San Quentin yet. I'm, I'm, I'm helping. Uh, well, helping would be a stretch, but I'm on a boat uh, owned by a fellow named Rob Kessel, who used to own Compass Analytics. And he is sailing his boat from Napa back to its port in Sausalito, just north of San Francisco. Very nice. Well, I know Rob. That's one in, insanely smart guy, Rob Kessel. So tell him I said, hey. <laughs> I will. I will. Maybe we should bring him on the call. <laughs> <laughs> He's Have been calling. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, happy Friday, everyone. Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the rundown with Robin Rich. And if you just joined us, my esteemed colleague, Rob Crisman, is on a boat in the San Francisco Bay with uh, Rob Kessel, the former owner of Compass Analytics. And so he's with us via phone, but uh, not via video this week. So, uh, Rob, thank you for making the time to join us. And it uh, was good. We were able to get dinner the other night. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not a big fan of the three and a half hour business dinner. And I, I actively look to avoid them. But uh, that was a good crew Wednesday night. It was a fine crew. Lots of good conversation about the economy and about housing and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and about the lending environment. So there's a lot going on. It was it was a good meal. And uh, anticipating that uh, Rob was going to be somewhat detained uh, in the San Francisco Bay, uh, made a call to one of my go to's anytime we need just awesome insight and great banner on anything in the mortgage industry. The president of Nationwide Mortgage Bankers and one of my good friends, Jody Hall. Jody, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Happy to be out of my PJs. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, uh, excited to get into it. Uh, spent this week at the uh, Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. And I think that conference more than any, you know, I really walk away feeling like, uh, you know, I have my finger on the pulse of uh, what is going on in our industry. And I want to get into all of that. Uh, a lot of the talk from this week, a lot of the prevailing topics that are top of mind, Jody, with leaders like you. And uh, well, Rob, I'll start with you. You know, the, the big talk, really, that is the underpinning of a lot of the issues that lenders are concerned about and talking about is just the interest rate climate. 30-year fixed rate, so much for the slow ascent to the high threes throughout 2022. Once again, the economists, uh, <laughs> a little off the mark, were there already. It's mid-January, uh, already at the worst case scenario uh, that most economists had for rates this year. So any thoughts on the uh, rate climate to start the year, Rob, and uh, just the Fed's uh, actions and statement this week? Yeah, it, it once again shows you that predictions, you know, nobody, no, nobody knows what's going to ha necessarily happen in the future. And, and sometimes news comes out and you think, oh, that's going to drive rates up and it drives rates down. And sometimes the opposite occurs. And people in general had a feeling that rates were heading higher. The Fed is behind on its inflation outlook, uh, a little bit behind on its overall economic thoughts. And so the market had pretty much assumed that the Federal Reserve was going to start raising rates after tapering off its purchases as the year went on. And now it's, you know, it'll start happening in about a month and a half. And I think there might have been even a school of thought that thought uh, that said the Fed was going to start tapering right away just because the economy is doing so well. And, and going to Nashville, Rich. When I parked at the airport, you know, the airport was full and you go to the restaurants in the middle of the week and the restaurants were full and there's just this hum of economic activity out there despite the higher prices. And there's just a lot of pent up demand for goods and services that are out there and unemployment is low. Certain, uh, certain segments of the economy obviously are doing better than others, but in general, the, the Federal Reserve is looking at this economy, which is doing very, very well. The housing market is doing well. And so prices are going up nearly everywhere, even, even for Egg McMuffin meals. So you have a situation where the Federal Reserve had to do something. And yeah, it was a, uh, it was the, the, the market reaction was swift. And the next, the next big hurdle, I think, in terms of yield, might be a 2% on the 10-year, and we haven't been there for quite some time. So it'll be interesting to see what what plays out there. Certainly, the Federal Reserve is is watching things closely, but I think lenders out there in particular, and, we, and I'd like to ask Jody this question, you know, you, if you know and when you know rates are going to go up, assuming rates are going to go up, which they already have, what moves are you making now knowing that that could go further as the year progresses. Jody popped off camera momentarily. Uh, she had a contractor coming in. She had to, to work around, but uh, she'll be oh, right back. Well, I'll answer yeah. the question for her then. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, I can tell until she, let me know when she comes back on. When, when I was talking to folks, folks in, uh, sorry about that. One of the, one of the grinders is, is working here. 
uh, bringing in the sale. Uh, talking to people in Nashville, the as we've talked about on the show some months ago, they they abolished overtime, and then they stopped replacing people who were leaving, and some companies have instituted layoffs. And so now the question is, all right, how efficient can we make our shop? And one of the conversation topics that I heard out there was everybody's looking at different ways to save money. And one of the ways, surprisingly, that came up in uh, one of the sessions in Nashville was how do we cut our insurance costs? How do we cut our health care costs? You know, there's a lot of money that's being spent in healthcare. So, so senior managers and owners are taking a look at line items saying, all right, what percent of our outgo is being spent here, there, you know, LOS, vendor, vendor relationships, hedging systems, uh, compensation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, healthcare. And so they're looking at those line items saying, all right, we know in general that the mortgage-backed security market is the same for everybody. The value of servicing, fortunately, has gone up a little bit, but that doesn't help our day-in and day-out expenses. So how can we make our operation more efficient and cut costs where we need to be without undergoing layoffs? Because many of these employees are very good employees. You don't want to lose them. You don't want to uh, get into a situation where you lay somebody off and then four months from now or six months from now we get a little <clears throat> boomlet and suddenly you're trying to hire talent that you laid off you know, in January or February. So so companies are trying to lower their costs where they can and become more efficient and and see what happens next. And, and there's a lot of that, Rich, that was going on in Nashville. I don't know. If you, what did you hear out there? Yeah, it was really, I mean, <clears throat> the, the extreme focus was on recruit growing sales, growing volume through recruiting or channel strategies or referral partner strategies. And then the, the opposite side cutting costs and obviously labor being a big part of the costs for any mortgage banking operation. And Jody is the president of a medium to medium large size and pretty quickly growing independent mortgage banking outfit. Yeah, just take us inside your mindset uh, with this climate we find ourselves in almost a month into the year with a slower start and rates much higher than most people thought. Yeah, for sure. Um, always focusing on controlling what you can control. Um, I do think that there's a large emotional reaction in the market. I, and I think that we knew that we needed to increase rates to um, be able to deal with inflation. And I can't help but think if maybe we would have done this last year and the Fed would have um, went ahead and did a rate hike, maybe we'd be through um, the worst part of, of the emotional reaction and it would, it would level out. But to um, Rich and Rob's point, we really, we are focusing on recruiting, right? We have a amazing story to tell from a cultural perspective. Um, we're in a position where we can, you know, uh, put, you know, we're really digging into the value of our servicing to be able to um, put that value in the pricing um, to help keep the interest rates uh, uh, highly competitive to the market and interest rates still are relatively low when you're a company who focuses primarily on purchase business and there's so much pent up demand um, for purchase. So 
the other thing that, you know, we are really focusing on is um, recruiting. And also this is, we've been doing this and trying to position ourselves as a technology thought leader in the industry. So we're continuing to build out processes so that we can um, save on cost. And we're going to all of our vendors and negotiating. Um, you know, we, we, everybody was fat and happy in uh, 2020 and 2021. And, and, you know, the cost of doing business as a mortgage lender were increasing. And so, so now we're like, okay, so we're expected to have a 30% decrease in profit uh, this year over last year. What are you going to do with us as being a valued partner um, as a vendor? And it's really going to play into whether we keep those contracts when it comes up to renewal or not. Like, are you willing to go through the rough times uh, as with us as much as you are when we're in the good times. So we're really focusing on vendor management. We're really focusing on the messaging and trying not to focus on the doom and gloom and really look at like, this isn't emotional. The interest rates are still relatively low. We're in a purchase market. People have more savings than they've ever had before. We're doing more conventional business from a percentage perspective than we've ever done before. Let's focus on those things. Let's recruit. Let's tell the story. Let's be the trusted advisor and a relationship builder um, that makes us great. And we we really believe that that we'll come out on top um, from from other lenders because we're confident in what we focus on daily. Some great perspective. And yeah, you talk with leaders in the industry about you know cutting costs and oh you know it's it's the lazy easy things that you hear most of the time you brought up a couple of great points renegotiating your vendor contract something that is not done nearly enough in this industry and uh you know it, it's not to pull the rug out from good partners but uh just to take a proactive look at you know what you're paying for things and uh to your point you know are they in it with you uh through the tough times and the good times leveraging your servicing portfolio. One of the nice things about having some servicing, right? Acts as a natural hedge when volume's down and rates go up, <laughs> servicing goes up uh, and the, the likelihood of prepay goes down. Um, so, uh, and then Rob brought up one too that I heard as well, uh, which is healthcare costs, which they just go up. I don't know what your experience has been, Jody, but you know, we recently brought on a preferred partner at TMC by the name of Karen Advisors and it's a real niche outfit, but essentially what they do is they work with companies one-on-one -on -one and they assign you like a medical professional, almost like a nurse, and they work with your employees um, on an individual basis as, as they have things come up um, and, and and some members that we have have really seen dramatic cost cutting. Because I think it, it seems like everybody's healthcare costs just go up by like 15, 20% every year. How, you know, it seems like that has to, there has to be some some flaw in that or just the medical the healthcare insurance companies just keep getting richer. Has, has that been your experience? Um, absolutely. Every year it has gone up and then it becomes part and something that we're experiencing currently is trying to make the decision. Do you take the risk of going self-insured? Because that is the only way that you can be assured that your costs aren't hopefully going to go up at, you know, 15, 20% every single year from a healthcare perspective. And, and it's hard um, because from a healthcare perspective, like we're in the mortgage industry, right? So, it, and you th think of all industries, like 
you have to also be a healthcare expert, a healthcare insurance expert as well. Um, so we're struggling with it. And when you, you know, when you have high um, cost, you worry about retention, you worry about what you have to pay people to keep up, you know, the, if, if um, healthcare costs were rising proportionate to inflation, we would be in a better position than what healthcare insurance rates um, rise at. But it's definitely something that um, is in the forefront of our minds, just because the, the, the great cost to our employees. Yeah, like any major cost-cutting exercise, it you know comes with some sort of trade-off. If it's you know the all that goes along with uh, you know reducing staff or uh, healthcare costs going to a more unconventional structure, but a lot of the things that are being discussed in the hallways of conferences now that uh, haven't been for at least two years with volume flush and lenders more really just focused on you know fighting through pipelines as opposed to some of the things that are more top of mind right now. And Rob, another thing that I just, and Jody touched on it as soon as we kind of went there was just recruiting. Like every single lender I talked to our members and everybody is recruiting right now. And it is the wild west in terms of LO recruiting. Like I've never seen it, Rob. Did you have the same takeaway in your, your talks with uh, people in Nashville this week? I did. The, you know, there's obviously uh, different ways of, of cutting costs, and we just talked about that. Or you can just increase your revenue if you're making, you know, $1,000 a loan, uh, get more loans in the door. So easier said than done, obviously. And it was interesting sitting at some of the sessions that I went to sitting at the same table with competitors who basically uh, basically are recruiting against one another. And here we are talking about personnel. And so, yeah, I, I have not heard, and maybe, maybe the news has gotten old, but I haven't heard about the huge signing bonuses as much as we heard of them, say, a year ago. But then when I asked people outright, are you still hearing about that? They said, yes, yeah, certain companies are known for these huge signing bonuses, and there are obviously clawback periods, and there's a lot of strings attached. And when you look at the actuarial numbers to say, all right, if you are going to pay you know, a half a million bucks signing bonus for three loan officers, and these three loan officers you know, add up to you know, $20 million a month in production. And then you look at their refi percentages and you factor out some portion of those and what their purchase business is like and how long it takes to make up that, say, half a million dollar signing bonus. It really starts to get a little bit iffy as one goes forward into 2022 if rates continue to go up. What will the environment be like how long will it take to make up that half million dollars for the company that paid it, paid the signing bonus, and what is really the value add? But on top of that, you do have a situation where bringing talent on board helps keep the op staff employed and helps add to the servicing portfolio and helps you know, warehouse banks 
uh, with your, you know, line of business and the broker dealers, you know, you're doing more volume. So your, your, your word and your business has more heft out there in the business community. So there are, there are benefits other than just financial benefits that can happen to a company, but yeah, the, the signing bonuses are, are still out there by some companies. Others, others told me, well, we, we never paid one and we never will. Uh, on the other hand, they may pay retention bonuses. You know, it's, it's easier to keep somebody on the staff because they've already tra- been trained in the policies and procedures. So let's not go out and hire some bright, new, shiny object. Let's increase the efficiency of our existing staff, of our existing branches, making sure our loan officers are trained, make sure that they know the software that we already have in-house, that we've already paid for, and make sure that uh, you know we're getting the most out of our lead sources and our marketing budget and so forth and so on. But yeah, it's a tough recruiting environment. Jody, are you seeing that as well? So Rob, I don't think that the sign-on bonuses went away. I think that the people who are receiving them have gotten a little bit smarter that that's going to come out of their pocket somehow. Um, because I can tell you, and being out there on the streets and um, having some, you know, some real shots at individuals, um, that they're getting those offers. And I think that we see our our own loan officers telling us that people are calling and still offering them the large sign-on bonuses. A couple of things with that too is like with the uncertainty, first of all, your point about wanting to keep the ops staff um, happy, we want to keep the entire company's morale up, right? So when you see pipelines dwindle, people get scared and you don't want them to have to exist in that environment because if they exist in that environment and they feel threatened, they're going to take a phone call from a recruiter if it happens. Um, so I do think that you know we as lenders are willing to take less profit um, today than we would have six months ago because we want to get that business in the door to help support our support teams um, and keep morale up and keep them busy because we know that the we know that it's coming. Um, so we talk often about the pipeline of production, and you also again on the training side of it, we have to be willing to train new individuals into the industry. We launched NMB University, which is um, it's a sales institute that is um, designated to train people outside of the industry, not just to get their license, but how to be mortgage loan officers. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times people want to do the business, want to do business with people that that are like them. So the 20 and 30 year olds want to do business with 20 and 30 year old loan officers. Um, And so we have been able to launch the NMB University Sales Institute to account for that. So I think that that gives you the ability and it's also good for your, if you're a distributed retail company to be able to um, help your branches gain market share and get um, some new energy into their team. So we are training their individuals and they get released back in um, to those branches. So we're showing a value of being able to not just go out and recruit new talent, but we also have to give resources and support to be able to help our existing branches grow. So I think you have to do all of it at the same time and you have to do it for all of the reasons. So there's a, um, it's a much more strategic 
we have to be much more strategic today than we've had to be um, in the past. And, you know, it's about emotion. It's about livelihood. It's about existing production, growing existing production. It's about growing market share. It's about growing your teams. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, uh, oh, go ahead. Rob. It, it, you need, no, I'm just saying, I was going to say managers need to be managers. It's, it's much easier to, to manage in an expanding environment because all you're trying to do is hire, whereas now the, the skill sets of managers are being utilized, not only regular management skills, but for many companies managing a remote workforce and mm -hmm. the different skill set that may be involved with that. So owners and managers uh, are, <laughs> have to earn their keep. So Absolutely. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Yep. This is the Rundown with Rob and Rich. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative, joined as always by Rob Crisman on a boat in the San Francisco Bay this week and Nationwide Mortgage Bankers President Jody Hall. Jody, you know I'm a huge fan of, of leaders that zig when others are zagging. And when you told me about NMBU uh, four or five months ago, um, I, I thought it was great because you know, one of the things that I think you're going to see is companies lay people off. And I, unfortunately, I think you're going to see a lot of that on the operational side these next several months um, is getting rid of things like training and development. And, um, and, and with you guys making a push kind of all in on that at a time when you know new business was going to be slowing down, thought it was a great strategy. You, you made a comment about just recruiting in general. And I think you were intimating that the top sales talent is getting smarter about the, the, the new homes that they're like, I used to, when I recruited LOs for a bunch of years, it used to shock me at the questions top producers didn't ask. Um, are you experiencing that now? Do you think it's a, a savvier base of uh, top producers right now in the recruiting world? Absolutely. And I also think, I mean, I've done my fair share of uh, recruiting and building relationships with people over two or three years that are now, you know, ready to make a move. So I think that we've also done a pretty good job of educating um, as I, so I think that a lot of people have, have been having conversations for a long time and felt like their pipelines were just too full um, to make a move. So I think that they've become experienced in what do I really want? Um, so I, I do think that um, everyone is much more educated in what to ask for and ask the questions um, before making the move. Uh, so they, they too are being more strategic about what the moves they make because we're seeing, you know, branches too have grown quite a bit. Um, and they too have to pivot from a management perspective and what their next steps are going to be with a, with pretty, you know, pretty large groups and individuals that you control their livelihood. That's a great point because recruiting is an all the time thing, right? It's not, oh, it's slow now. It's time to recruit and, uh, you know, keeping those lines in the water, even if people are too busy to leave a pipeline. I've talked to many lenders these last few months making the comment like, oh, well, time to recruit. They haven't done that in a while. Better, uh, you know, so, um, but, uh, you know, it's a good point to, you know, keep keep the prospects active and stay committed to that. And, you know, that then will bear fruit uh, when people are in a position to make a move. And right now is a time where, you know, lenders are in a position, uh, mortgage lending loan originators to make a move. Are they asking different questions right now, Jody, top producers, do they care about things like, like owner, who owns the company? Um, uh, you know, what are you doing 
uh, in and around fair lending compliance, uh, automation technology. Are they asking questions like that or how has the narrative changed a little bit? A lot more about technology and a lot more about culture. And I think that, you know, to Rob's point that you have to ma managers have to manage. It was really easy to look good over the last couple of years and look like you were doing an amazing job. When it gets a little bit tough, then your true leaders stand out. And that's just changed. The, I mean, the world has completely changed in the last almost three years of, you know, of, we're now in the third in the third year of a pandemic. And um, the mindset of employees has completely changed. And um, so I think that, you know, people really are focused on culture and the way that the company operates for their employees. So there's more questions around that because we do have to be more empathetic. We have to be more compassionate and we have to figure out ways to keep our uh, teams engaged constantly being in a remote work environment. So I do, um, I do get a lot more questions in the recruiting process, not just from sales, but from everyone. Um, we are getting more from questions from sales in the recruiting process around technology so that they're able to do more. Um, and I, we as a company, we lead with that, right, uh, with culture and technology um, and are really able to get people um, engaged in the process where there are less questions around it because we're answering everything and getting them excited. And I hope what they're doing when they're going to the, um, to the next recruiting call that they're taking that and be like, well, wait, do you have this? Will you do that? Um, and we're really planting the seed for the questions that they need to ask of, of the other companies that they're talking to. Hey, Jody, I have a question. Oh, sorry, Rich. No, go ahead. Jody, I have, I have a question about commercial real estate with the move toward some portion, all or some or part-time work from home. Have you adjusted your office space needs? And if so, well, if you, if you have uh, thought about, okay, we, we're saving $10,000 a month on, you know, we don't need this office anymore. And so let's take that money and put it toward, you know, training or whatever it might be. Um, yes, we actually are. Um, our corporate office is in uh, Melville, New York. And on the last week of February, we're moving from 55,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet. Um, and, you know, you're bound by the terms of your of your leases um, so that this was the first opportunity. It's something we started thinking about very early on in the process. So, yeah, we definitely um, are are going the direction of less uh, less space. We need less real estate than we ever did before. And I think that it's going to continue to trend that way. Um, but then you th have to think of things differently. All right. So you have, you know, it's more than $10,000 savings, <laughs> um, Rob, but uh, we have to think about then, you know, not just, you know, what the cost savings is of that, but you also have some expense, additional expense, because when you're in a remote environment, you're wanting to bring people together. So when we are a remote company, you know, the CFO is in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, our CTO is in Columbus, Ohio, our head of marketing is in Virginia Beach, our head of compliance is outside of Chicago, our COO is in Denver. So we also have costs associated.
associated with keeping them being connected um, and bringing everybody together, either, you know, in a location where we get FaceTime with each other more frequent, um, but definitely have a tremendous amount of savings from real estate. But you do shift some of that expense just to to something different, to a different environment to stay connected. A lot of talk in the halls as well this week uh, about margin compression. That's clearly starting. <laughs> Reminded me, I linked in the chat, I, I did a satirical predictions column for 2022 and, and one of uh, predicting like, you know, satirical headlines for the year. One of them was, you know, 34 killed during margin compression drinking game at NBA conference. And I, I kept being reminded of that this week as lenders started to talk about feeling that um, some other things that I heard and saw and just jotted down in my meetings this week, appraisal industry reform. I think that is something that is coming 100% for sure. There was a 80-page scathing report that came out by the National Fair uh, Housing Policy uh, outfit last week, really you know, talking to a lot of just essentially what's been, in their opinion, a, a self uh, a self-regulated industry that uh, has a lot of improprieties. Um, FHA mortgage insurance premiums seems like a certainty to me at this point that those are reduced after the first quarter, just because the affordability issue is just a disaster right now with affordable homes and rates higher and uh, values keep going up. Jody, agree, disagree, FHA, MIP. Uh, what are your thoughts on you, you see that being reduced after Q1 when they said they're going to review it? Yeah, I absolutely. I think so. Um, I really think if had we been in a different environment last year, that it probably would have already happened. But I definitely uh, see that. And you also look at the even the market share that FHA has lost um, over. I mean, we've had a huge swing, and I've heard many lenders say this. They've had a huge swing to um, conventional. So I think that you know we and we also when you're in a rising rate environment, you see. Um, you see more FHA loans. So I think that we definitely, that that will definitely decrease. So spot on with your, uh, with your crystal ball prediction there. <laughs> and then Rob, the appraisal industry, you, you go back to the Taft administration. You've been through a lot of uh, time in the industry with appraisals. It seems like it's been unchanged forever. There was obviously some appraisal reform as part of uh, Dodd-Frank and how you select appraisers and a lot of the bad was eradicated from the appraisal side of the business then, but this report that came out essentially, you know, was uh, pointing to examples of very, very similar homes in different types of neighborhoods that were getting uh, different values, even relative to other factors in those neighborhoods that can make two similar homes, not the same value. Uh, the fact that you know, only 61% of Americans are white, but 89% of appraisers are, that uh, there's no fair housing training in the appraising, appraisal industry, that, uh, that the barrier to entry for people that want to get into it, it's very high. Rob, I'd be interested in your thoughts on the appraisal industry and if you see reforms coming. There probably will be reforms coming. Some of the pressure, though, has been taken off of the appraisers that are out there with the appraisal waiver situation for some some segments of loans and also just volumes dropping lightens up the, the appraiser's workload. If you're an appraiser, of course, and you can make $1,000 by doing an appraisal up the street or $500 by doing one 20 miles out in, in, the, in the fields, 
you're going to choose the closer one. But with, like I said, with volumes dropping and with the appraisal waiver situation, I think some of the some of the pressure has been taken off of the existing appraisal staff. But that doesn't that doesn't hide the fact that to become an appraiser is something that very few people want to do. Certainly, any young people who are coming out of college because the the requirements you know you come out of college and then you've got this indentured uh, servitude situation indentured servant uh, with an appraiser you know finding an appraiser to train you and knowing that you're going to become that appraiser's competitor once you graduate uh, it, it's oftentimes a tough situation so I think the the easy answer is yes reform will happen but it's going to take a lot of effort. To reform it because so many agencies are involved, as you mentioned, Dodd Frank, Congress is involved at some level with regard to creating, you know, just the appraiser requirements that are out there. But I make the point that e economics go a long way in terms of things that happen with regard to reform. So I like, yeah, <clears throat> when I was in college, you know, we used whale oil lights. Rich, you'll be happy to know. And uh, as whale oil became expensive, you know, we moved to petroleum-based products. To uh, I thought to you, I thought you grew up by, I thought you grew up by candlelight, Rob. No, no, we had whale oil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got a ton of stuff uh, in the chat. We got a, we got about ten minutes left here on the rundown. We got a ton of good stuff in the chat, including uh, your right, former right. Jody. I'll get to the, I'll get to the point. I, I think that re reform will happen, but uh, it's going to take a lot of effort in terms of the industry doing that. And uh, appraisal turn times have come back down. You know, the necessity isn't quite there as it was six months ago, but it'll, you know, we know it'll come back. So we're, the industry is hoping for reform. How long it takes to get remains to be seen. Good counterpoints. And as mentioned, a lot of good stuff in the chat. Um, around uh, former Jody Hall colleague that is a big fan. Uh, current FHFA price adjustments for second homes, is it a price grab or truly risk-based? I think it's neither. It's just Fannie and Freddie saying, this is not our core mission statement. The private market will absolve that, which they will. And let's focus on first-time home buyer products. Uh, Jody, question for you that came in, uh, in and around... Uh, you spoke about culture. Is it challenging to maintain that culture more with remote work? What are you doing to keep your company culture as it's a recruiting tool you mentioned? It's communication um, and it's finding ways um, to engage employees. Uh, one of the things that our employees love doing that we did, we had a virtual holiday party um, back in 2020. Um, and we had um, some singers from Hamilton um, come on and sing. And then we had a trivia night and that was a hit. So we continue to run trivia night where we invite people's families um, so that the kids can play. And we look for those opportunities where we can engage with employees. Um, we've done beers and bourbon with the bosses virtually. Um, we're, uh, we now, there's a thing called, uh, the idea came from uh, coffee roulette, which is like, you can, you can employ their software. 
um, but uh, where we just get people from different departments communicating with each other, not um, necessarily about business, but just about who are you, um, you know, where do you live, uh, and try to get that communication going. We're doing cross training so that people can be more empathetic for the jobs that other people do. And, but for the most part, and I know there's another question in there about communication and about communicate, communicating the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, we communicate with our entire company on, on a weekly basis where we're talking about the tough things. We're talking about the things that we can do to make their lives easier. Um, and I think that that communication um, is important. So it's just, it's working really hard and extra hours to try to make sure that you get connected to people. Also, as I'm traveling, I've made a, an objective for myself to meet every employee in the company, over 500 strong face-to-face -face sometime in 2022. Great point. Yeah. One consistent I've seen just amongst great leaders in the industry, they're all great communicators. And, you know, communication isn't sending out emails quarterly about some high level things going on with the company. It's truly wanting to engage with the employees and truly wanting them to understand everything that's going on, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not hiding from things during tough times and uh, the same during very good times as well. Uh, some comments also came in uh, about the GSEs needing to increase the proportion of PIWs, uh, Penny Freddie desktop changes, also as a game changer for appraisers because they can work from home, would agree with that. Uh, and then um, also a comment about, uh, which I did hear, this is one of the other things I wanted to mention, is just alternative products really has been no talk of that at all these last years. It's been just conventional FHA, but uh, I had a call this morning with a company that is going to be buying standalone home equity loans in the secondary market, kind of alluded to that. I've found three or four companies. So I think that's something you're going to see emerge just because in the past, it made no sense for companies to buy standalone home equities because it's too small loan balances, the work on the draws. Uh, people didn't have enough equity. There was too much risk, too much 07, 08, uh, not far enough in the rear view stuff. Uh, Jody, any other alternative products that uh, you guys are kicking the tires on or think will be very much more viable uh, this year and beyond? Yeah, we um, are getting our um, non-QM proprietary guidelines um, reviewed by um, investor, different Wall Street investors. So we have our own um, guidelines and are selling those. Uh, so non-QM, we were big in non-QM prior to um, COVID and we just have brought that back and are looking to increase and hopefully we'll be able to do some uh, third-party origination of uh, non-QM business by the end of the year. Also um, looking at commercial lending and picking up a greater market share um, through commercial lending. Great points, Rob. Any uh, scuttlebutt you heard in the hallways in Nashville this week that caught your attention just around uh, non-conforming products, alternative products that uh, you think has some, some legs as we move forward here? Not really. <laughs> the yeah, we've been waiting for the uh, the rise of, of non-QM for several years now. And at some point, the market share will increase. Maybe maybe this is the year. But loan officers, I think, to some degree, still equate the product with subprime, which has a black eye. Companies don't want to be known as strictly a non-QM lender. So there's a little bit of a, a name challenge there. 
that some lenders have gotten over, but others are still, you know, are still aware of. But the the fact remains, as Jody knows, you know, at some rate and some price, lenders and borrowers transact, and whether that's a qualified mortgage or a non-qualified mortgage, you know, hopefully the loan officer, the loan officer has tools and the product set in order to offer that and to help their borrower, regardless of where the loan actually fits in. So, you know, I think I think that product line has a, a valuable place. It's just, you know, how much, you know, I used to hear these, these really, these projections of hundreds of billions of dollars of non-QM, you know, next year, next year, next year. It's happened to some extent, but it's nowhere near the trillions of, of regular quote unquote loans that are going on out there. But, you know, hope springs eternal for the non-QM segment of the industry. Good points. And uh, Jody, really appreciated your insight here. A couple of things I'd love to pick your brain on. And uh, one is just the changing nature of referral relationships and referral business on a couple fronts. You've got a Democratic CFPB that by all accounts and indications is going to be much more aggressive. One of the things the last Democratic CFPB really focused on was RESPA and marketing services agreements. So at the same time, we're heading into this climate where it's going to be, you know, purchase only and we got to get back to the, the, the point of sale and referral business. And at the same time as well, a lot of realtors aren't in the offices anymore. A lot of the marketing services that you could kind of uh, underwrite to like, yes, we are providing it's if it's desk rentals or signage in an office or uh, flyers that are sitting in a, a broker owner's office, tougher to do now with less. Uh, you know, brick and mortar presence for realtors and more of them uh, virtual. Just curious on your thoughts in general on the uh, procuring referral business climate going forward and, you know, some probably pretty major changes to that because uh, it's it's been a while since LOs have really, really, really had to beat the bushes and, and focus on that intensely. A lot of them. So all the way through COVID, um, we have run we run um, continuing education uh, platform for realtors. So we've always had a uh, it used to be face to face prior to COVID, and we within a matter of months started going virtual with those continuing education courses to get in front of our referral partners. But I think it's also it's about communication. It's the same thing that it's about the relationship, um, and it has to happen in a virtual environment today. So you have to have programs and platforms available and be willing to educate your referral partners on what's available. So like when Rob, you know, it's talking about the non-QM business, like um, being able to develop non-QM training that's not just targeted at your loan officers to know which pro programs are offered, but to also have um, realtor education. So we focus on in the marketing department, we don't just build the training um, for internally, we build training for referral partners to understand the products that they have so that they can great, gain greater market share, which is going to lead to more business for, for us. So I think that it's like every other relationship that we have had over the last two years, it's become a virtual relationship. And those who, um, it takes a lot more work. Um, but for those who are willing to put in the work and to, um, you know, persevere through the struggle, they're the ones that are going to gain the market share in the industry. Very well put. Rob, any uh, departing thoughts for your loyal fans as you set sail in the San Francisco Bay? 
I want your life is what I've really established. No, outside of, being, uh, outside of being a Warriors fan, my Cavs are absolutely just killing it right now. Warriors aren't doing too bad. The, uh, you know, go 49ers. That's another, you know, it's a good time to be uh, in, uh, you know, behind Bay Area sports. But the, no, the, the closing comments or the basic, the basic gist that I got from Nashville was that there are a lot of neat things that lenders can do. Uh, certainly, there are neat products that they can take advantage of to help their efficiency and help their loan officers reach borrowers in a compliant manner. And so there's some, some things that tools that they didn't have a few years ago. So watching that is pretty neat. And I think a lot of lenders are optimistic that they can uh, sharpen their pencils enough to, to survive until the next upswing and really focus on the purchase market. So As always, hope, hope but I, I think that, I think that good managers and good owners and good companies that have been through some of these downturns to some extent are they they have a playbook set up and and they'll uh, they should emerge on the other side. The good ones like nationwide, you guys are going to come out on the other end, regardless of where industry's down ten percent or forty percent this year. Stronger, Jody. I know leaders like you. You know, everybody wants more volume and did not have to worry about boosting the pipeline, but. I just haven't known you a long time, like this opportunity, right? I mean, this is really an opportunity to differentiate yourself to loan originators that you're recruiting and your own staff and the broader industry, no? Absolutely. And I think um, when you're, when you face adversity, I think that there are some people who get stronger and there are some people who, you know, crawl under the rug and go away. And I definitely think that will be the ones that are, are still swinging in the in the end and will outpassion and persevere anyone in the industry that is on the same playing field. Very well put. Uh, Rob, weekend plans? Are you on the boat all weekend or? No, the boat trip uh, ends here in a couple hours when we pull into Sausalito. No, the, uh, there's probably be a Warrior game or two. There's I hear a 49er game Sunday, something about 49ers. I love them plus love them plus three and a half this week. I've been riding that band, the Niner bandwagon about six weeks in a row. I think they've been a profitable investment. And Kansas City Chiefs team total over 31 this week. My other my other investment I'll have in play. So Jody, any weekend plans? Our Cavaliers, what the hell is going on? They're gonna be the number one seed in the East, maybe by the time things are said and done. We're going to bring another Cavs championship to Cleveland, maybe before the Browns uh, make it to the playoffs again. Um, but no, I'm jumping on the Joe Burrow bandwagon um, to still represent Ohio. So come on, Bengals. Let's uh, let's beat those Chiefs. Pretty cool thing about Jody. She bought some land and is building like a barn farm home in Cambridge, Ohio, which is pretty cool. And uh, I know that's been occupying a lot of your time. Uh, in different phases this last year. Yep, for sure. The um, barn it started a month early and the house a month late. So they are both starting in snowstorms at the same time. And I couldn't be more stressed. <laughs> well, Jody, thanks for joining us somewhat last second. You know, you are our go-to with Rob on the boat. You know, we didn't know his connectivity and you know, nobody wants to look at my face on the large panel for uh for 45 minutes. So really appreciate you 
classing the show up this week and, and joining us on little to no notice. For sure. Thanks for letting me take some of your airtime there, Rob. <laughs> oh, anytime. Thank you. <laughs> And Rob, great seeing you this week. Yeah, really enjoyed uh, hanging out. And uh, if I don't talk to you before then, we are here every Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern, the rundown with Rob and Rich. Next week, uh, special co-host, our friends from Curinos, who have been on before, uh, providers of market intel and data, uh, which another theme this week, lenders using data and analytics and demographic data to manage uh, compliance and their future growth. So excited to chat with the crew at Carinos next week. So till then, have a great weekend, everyone. We'll see you next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern with the rundown. Take care. Thank you. See you all.